classical Christian students read a lot of books over their K-12 journey, and most of them are the greatest books of Western civilization. Books that have stood the test of time, filled with stories that form the moral imagination and ignite curiosity and provoke deep thinking. Yet reading is increasingly challenging in a world of screens. Our guest today helps us consider practices and habits in our homes and classrooms that engage readers of all ages to pick up a book for the simple joy of reading. Join us for this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Well, you did it. You made a really good decision. You are listening to Basecamp Live, and I really appreciate that. Davies Owens here on another journey with you in this episode. There's a lot of competition, not only for your time, but for other things to listen to. You can't pick up your phone and not be inundated with invitations to use your time, not always wisely, but I think this is a good good use of your time as we talk about how to raise the next generation in our homes and in our schools. It's what we've done now for seven years, and it means a lot that you're here. It means a lot that I hear from you. I really do value knowing where you're listening from. God is stirring up some significant work in our midst as far as new families coming together and saying, we want to do something different and raise a generation that truly loves the true, good, and beautiful. And we think classical Christian education is the way to do it. And there's a lot of startup schools and a lot of listeners that are trying to learn and glean best practices. And there's a lot of folks listening that are part of legacy schools, which are now 30 or 40 years old, which doesn't sound very old, but in classical Christian world, those are older schools that have a lot of wisdom to share. And so all that to say, thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me know where you're listening from. Info at Basecamp Live. I read all those emails. They mean a lot to me. What's on your mind? Where are you? Take a moment and let me know. And by the way, thank you for all of you who have let me know a lot of things that are on your mind through our Basecamp Live survey, which is concluding this week. We will be doing a drawing at the end of the week and announcing it next week for the $100 Amazon gift card, but lots of helpful feedback and insights. So thank you for taking time because there's a lot of exciting 2.0 2.0 base camp coming here in the near future. A lot of things that Keith McCurdy and I are working on, we've been talking about and a lot more to share in the future. But for this episode, we're going to talk about a topic that is super important, which is reading and how do we read in a world that continues to distract us with screens and how do we form habits in our home. And I'm really excited about our guest today, Holly Dowden. Holly has done a lot of work in her own right in the world of podcasting. Good Way Podcast, highly recommend it to you. She just helps families get kind of a jumpstart every day on books and conversations. And so I commend all that to you. You're going to hear more from her, but she's been around education for about 25 years, originally in the public school, had an amazing conversion to classical Christian, and she's been a part of brick and mortar schools and homeschools. She has a BA and MA in education from Biola University. She's currently working on an MA in classical Christian leadership from Gordon College, and she's an incredible encourager to those of us on this journey. So without further ado, let me invite us into this conversation. Well, Holly, welcome to Basecamp Live. So good to have you with me. It's great to have another podcaster, somebody that knows knows their way around the microphone. How long have you been podcasting? Um, I started in 2020. It was a little uh, pandemic hobby that I started that has turned into something that's really fun. So yeah. Well, even like myself, we didn't grow up in classical Christian world. We kind of 
Uh, we're on this mm-hmm. pilgrim's progress, I guess, from kind of government school land <laughs> to discovering classical Christian. What was that journey like for yeah. you? Because you had some significant discoveries along the way. I did. You know, I um, am a product of public education, K through 12. Uh, and then when I got to college, I majored in education, started teaching, got a master's in education, and have kind of been in every setting that there is from private Christian school to urban public charter school to just traditional public schools uh, to homeschools to most recently classical Christian school. So I've kind of seen it all. Um, and, you know, I was getting ready to send my kids to school and I always thought I would just send them to public school because that was my experience. Uh, and when I got there for the tour for kindergarten, felt like it was pretty uninspiring. And so I got picked up by a friend to go to this homeschool conference, which I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in, but, you know, I thought I'd go with my friend. And I found myself in this talk um, with Heidi White. And the name of the talk was How Great Stories Heal Our Broken Souls. And within about 30 minutes, she had completely um, upturned everything I had ever believed about education um, and made me realize that there was another way that I had not ever considered, and that was classical Christian education. I'm sure there's a lot in that presentation. What, what in particular were just sort of that aha moment? What, what was it that she said? You know, she started out by telling this story, the old Greek story that kind of sets up the frame for uh, the Iliad and the Golden Apples story, if you know that one. And, and it was, she kind of ended it with this question of what would you choose? Would you choose, um, if you don't know the story, that the story is that the golden apple is, says to the fairest on it. And so Paris is the one that ends up needing to give the apple. And so he has three choices. He can um, give it to Hera and have power. He can give it to Athena and get wisdom, or he can give it to Aphrodite and get the most beautiful woman in the world. And at the time, I had never read the Iliad. I was totally unfamiliar with Greek mythology and the way that she told the story just drew me in and I think probably ignited my moral imagination uh, for maybe the first time in a way I hadn't experienced. And it was enough to make me realize that this way of learning, of engaging, of finding yourself in this conversation, in this story uh, was different. And I liked it and I wanted to know more. So I think I went to the next session with Chris Perrin. uh, And by the end of the day, I had kind of seen everybody and was hook, line and sinker for classical Christian education. Well, what I love that caught you was wasn't you know the theory of classical. It was the living experience of engaging. You know, Charlotte Mason calls a living book, and it was that transformative book that lit your lit you on fire. What awakened you? Because so many of us, when we think back, you know, to our probably our non classical uh, literature experiences, it was sort of you know chew on the gravel and read through the anthology and try to remember the facts or the spark notes or the whatever. And it was just like this is just not fun and it's painful and, and that's. Really, what we're going to be talking about in this in this episode is really thinking about the challenge of of helping. You know, we we talk a lot about books, but the reality is, I heard recently that uh, two thirds of American high school students don't even read books. And I've heard statistics like you know one one book is read for every one hundred movies that are watched in our culture. Yeah, and I think I think that's that's part of what has been so powerful for me is this. Um, this story is what captured me in the first place. And honestly, as I've come to learn how to kind of redeem my own education uh, alongside my children, we've been doing this for now for six or seven years, I guess, that the, the story is, is kind of what is this entry point. And I think it's important for us as parents, as school administrators, to consider that as we're building community and figuring out how to go deeper in ways that are authentic with our parents and our, and our students. Yeah, when you've, and in particular, we'll, we'll talk more about kind of some of the specific work you're doing with 
helping to take these amazing stories that have stood the test of time, the great books, and sort of bringing them down to a more uh, approachable level and you, it sort of even in your podcast. Talk a little bit about what you're doing because I think it's absolutely fascinating and needed. Yeah, sure. So um, we started out homeschooling because there was not a classical Christian school anywhere near us. And so uh, I realized within the first you know few months that we needed community, that we needed to do this with other people. And so I ended up building this community of people. We were calling it Good Way. And so I had these teachers that would come in and we would do poetry and writing and art and drama and all of these wonderful things. And so we did that for a few years and then the pandemic hit and all of a sudden we were on our own again. Everybody was at home and isolated. We tried Zoom for a couple weeks and that was quickly exhausted. And so I turned kind of that experience of Good Way into a podcast. And it's really based on this idea of a morning basket. If you're familiar with Charlotte Mason, it's a it's a homeschool thing, but really I think it could be for everybody. And the idea is that you have a basket and there are a bunch of living books that that live in this basket that you access. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be every day, but in our house, it sits on the breakfast table and there's Bibles in there. There are poetry books. We have these little cards with art on them. There's story, there's music guides, all sorts of things so that we start our day with things that are beautiful. My friend Salome says that beauty is the apologetic of our age, that this is the thing that can, can draw us in. Goodness and truth, those are super important. But beauty is something that is often neglected, I think, not just in our homeschools, but in our you know classical Christian schools as well. So what are the ways that we are exposing children to beauty? Because I think that really helps to form their affections. We talk a lot about wisdom and virtue in classical Christian education which is so important. But I think that we also need to consider how beauty helps to form the affections of our kids because when they love the right things, then they start doing the right things. And so that's really the premise of the podcast is how do we help kids to love things that are good and true and beautiful? And so that becomes a part of who they are. And I think that starts really young. And so my podcast is really geared toward that younger crew, probably the grammar school age kids. And so I'm just sharing things that I love that I hope kids will learn to love too, and and also their parents as they listen alongside. Yeah. Well, in that and in that vein, you're also helping to awaken people to books that I mean, I think a lot of times as parents in the schools, we know the right books that have stood the test of time, but we don't really know how to access them, or we're intimidated by them. And so mm-hmm. I know, but in well, mm-hmm. well, and, and you've got some of the new work you're doing, the Lit 101, just trying to help. Like let's let's bring kind of lower the drawbridge down and let's make it easy to find this book so you can experience that beauty because otherwise it just it's kind of intimidating and that's not beautiful. So how do you how do you awaken beauty in that way? Right. So I think part of especially in the podcast, what I'm doing is I it always starts out with um, a little intro where I just chat with my listening friends. Uh, my brother sings hymns and so he's recorded and reimagined a bunch of hymns that we do. We go through a scripture passage, talk about it a little bit, memorize it, and then we get into poetry and stories. And so what I'm trying to do in there really is to model for parents how to engage with things just in a really normal way. Um, For all you listeners out there who are parents, I feel you, I am with you, and it can be intimidating to add another thing to my list of, okay, I need to do poetry with my kid today or talk about a book. But I think these can be done in really natural ways, whether you're in the car or sitting at the dinner table. Uh, And so I think there are a handful of tools that we can access and we can chat about those in ways to just engage naturally that doesn't feel forced, um, but that really helps kids to learn how to use their imagination. Um, And and 
ways that we can model how to engage with God and his creation in ways that are real and aren't just at church, but part of our everyday life. I think that's that's what I'm spending a lot of time thinking about and trying to figure out how to how to help us do that well. So we're going to get in later in the podcast to some really practical applications and how to do that, even you know, if you have high schoolers or any age group. But you know, I wonder, you know, we we talk a lot in, in this podcast about just, I mean, we are we are in a really kind of a battle for the affections or a battle for the loves. And, you know, I talk about the 301 problem that we kind of control with schools, the the environment, the ethos of of your 7.30 to 3 o'clock, but at 3.01, where the whims of the technology and the one-eyed screen monsters come out and all of these things. So, I mean, really, we better have a better story. I mean, I think that this is really, this is really where we're going to win or lose. And if our story is kind of presented, or if that great book is presented in a way that's mm, kind of flat, we're probably not going to win that. But if we can do what you, when you described your, you know, the Heidi White moment and this story that had been around for, you know, millennia is all of a sudden alive. It's like three dimensional in front of you. How do you, how, I mean, that's what we're aiming for. It's not a flat experience of these ideas. It's a living idea. It's, you know, it is a, it, it's rich in, in imagination. So how do we, how do we bring stories to that level? Because I think it's very easy to find ourselves, you know, turning something beautiful into something that's kind of tedious. Right, absolutely. Uh, I really love this quote from uh, Stratford Caldecott where he says, to be enchanted by story is to be granted a deeper insight into reality. And I think that as we talk about stories, yes, the great books are important. Uh, but there are also a lot of books that can come before that and in addition to that, that form us into lifelong readers, I suppose, uh, that can help us become enchanted by a deeper reality. It doesn't necessarily have to be the book off of, you know, the reading list at school. While those are important, those aren't the only thing. And so helping our kids learn to love reading, to love stories, to understand how stories work and how they, you know, apply to our everyday life. I think those things are important. And, and uh, you know, as parents, kind of the atmosphere that we cultivate at home around books, whether that's reading aloud together, which I think you can do all the way until your kids are adults, uh, whether that's providing, you know, a certain time in the schedule of your day that, hey, as a family, we read, uh, whether that's modeling for your kids. Hey, I read too. You read, I read. Um, you know, I my kids take piano lessons and I took piano lessons all growing up. And I've just started practicing piano again in front of them to show them how terrible I am and how hard it is to practice. And yesterday I was playing and I just started banging on the piano because I had messed up this part. I had practiced a hundred times, right? But my kids were in the room and they saw that saying, oh, wait, she's struggling through something too. And I think that kind of modeling in reading as well is probably is probably helpful for our kids. Yeah, it's more caught than taught. So there you go. You're living it out every day. So, well, well let's take a quick break. And I want to come back because I think this this desire to create a lifelong reader who loves learning is an absolutely, I don't know any parent or, or teacher, certainly starting out in the early years, I wouldn't say absolutely that's the goal. And yet sometimes we get to the end and maybe we haven't, we have missed some opportunities along the way. So I want to, you have some really good insights on that. We want to help create that love of learning. We'll be right back and talk more about this great topic. Okay, I want to mention an organization that I'm really excited to be partnering with. You know, most of us engage with businesses every day that provide excellent services, but are all too often actually funding initiatives and ideologies that are out of alignment with what we deeply value as families and churches and schools. And that's why Basecamp Live is proud to partner and do our banking with America's Christian Credit Union, a banking institution that only serves and invests in kingdom causes. 
So whether you're managing a school, a home, a small business, ACCU can meet your banking needs while upholding your biblical values. Find out why tens of thousands of families and ministries across the country have chosen to bank with ACCU by visiting americaschristiancu.com slash Basecamp. Holly, so grateful for your encouragement to model well reading to our children. We want them to be lifelong learners, but it's intimidating, especially if we've not grown up in a in a home ourselves. We don't know these books. We can hardly even probably can't even spell an Iliad or what is an Iliad or how does that even work? So help us again, just how do we how do we model it well so that our students love it? Right. And so I think what I want to encourage parents and then also if you're listening as a school administrator and how to support parents in this journey um, is really to think about the fact that you don't have to be an expert on a book to have a conversation about it with your children. We talk about classical Christian education often as a feast. Um, and my memories of feasting at our home growing up it were around Thanksgiving and Christmas time where there was the grown-ups table and then there was the kids table, right, for my cousins and I. And the grown-up table had china and all the fancy stuff. My mom went all out. She's an amazing cook and entertainer. And then the kids' table had paper plates, extra napkins. There was no gravy boat. You know, the cranberry sauce that might, you know, stay in the carpet was usually on the adult table. <laughs> there was extra decor. All of these things uh, where there was a difference between the adult table and the kids' table. And I think sometimes in classical education, there can be a bit of a reversal where the kids are actually at the grown-up table feasting, you know, richly on these big ideas and these great books. Uh, and the parents feel like, oh, gosh, I don't know if I have a place at that table. I have not read that book. I don't understand those ideas. Is there even a place for me here? And so I think it's important that we learn how to welcome parents, to help them feel comfortable, and really to set a place at the table for parents. Um, I know a lot of schools have worked hard to try to engage parents, but it's really hard when it's, you know, go read this 150-page book and then come meet us on Tuesday morning for coffee to talk about it, where that doesn't feel super accessible. And and it is important for parents to understand, uh, you know, what classical Christian education is. But there's also this point at which it's important for them to experience it. Um, my husband... <laughs> Is uh, he majored in theology in college and then decided to become a doctor. So he's this scientific, nerdy, God-loving man who's wonderful. Uh, and he got a pizza oven for his birthday this last year. And so our family has been enjoying pizza. Now, it started out, though, with him going on YouTube and watching all the videos on how to make crust. And then he bought the books and he read all about how to, you know, how to make the dough, whatever. I don't even know. But he's so scientific. He started doing all these experiments. And he was telling me all about it. And I was smiling and nodding, of course. Um, but it was very different when the first pizza came out of the oven and then we all sat down on the table and ate it. And it was this moment of, oh my goodness, it didn't matter how much you talked about this until I experienced this amazing pizza. You know, all of a sudden we felt something, we, we experienced something that was real, we tasted something that was wonderful. And I think education can be like that in a lot of ways where as parents, we need to learn and be exposed and be given the really wonderful part of the education that our kids are getting. Um, and so I think what we want to say, in a sense, is let's properly set the table on how to engage. What are the things that we need to enjoy this meal? And how do we do it in an authentic way? So I want to share some just practical tools that I think are helpful in, in enjoying the meal of classical education. That sounds great, because I think that's the, the tension is how do we do this? We, that sounds great. But then if we don't, you know, if you've set the table incorrectly and it's not a positive experience, 
it's hard to go back and do it again, especially if we're not familiar with how to do it ourselves. So yeah, give us some practical advice. Okay. So I think the first thing is to um, start early and start easy. And so when I heard the story of the Iliad, I thought, oh, this is great. I should read the Iliad. And I went home and ordered the Iliad and it came in the mail. And I thought to myself, oh my, I do not think I am ready for the Iliad actually. <laughs> and so what I ended up doing was getting some picture books and reading them with my kids. And after we finished that, we got this wonderful book called Black Ships Before Troy that tells the story again, uh, but with beautiful illustrations. But, you know, the text on the page is longer. And then after that, I read Children's Homer, where it was just a novel with no pictures. And then finally, I got to the point where I was listening to a podcast while reading it and then reading it by myself. And, and I don't think we should be afraid of those baby steps. Picture books are fantastic. They're fantastic for grownups and for kids. And so when we start with something really easy and accessible, then we can kind of build our way up. If you have young kids at home right now, starting with that easy stuff is a great place to start to give them a foundation. I love I love that idea. And I, th I think we all probably as adults need permission to you know, read the simpler versions before we get to the more complicated. I mean, I, re I remember studying um, in Stratford-upon-Avon and studying and studying Shakespeare's The Tempest. And it was really, you know, if you just go read that and you're not used to reading Shakespeare, that's a very intimidating. So I found myself almost with some guilt reading yes. like the children's version of it to go, oh, okay, now I get the story. Now I can go, but that's okay to do. I mean, let's don't make it unnecessarily difficult. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I have done that with so many books. My boys are 11 now. Uh, so I realize I still have a long way to go in all this, but I've also taught some kids who are now in high school and had conversations with them. Um, but starting with Shakespeare storybooks, there are so many fantastic resources out there. And even if you are a parent with a student who is, you know, in rhetoric school, in high school, get the simpler version, read it, get an idea of what the story is about. So then you can jump in and, and have a conversation with your child. There are Shakespeare storybooks, uh, Greek mythology, my introduction to Greek mythology was in my late 30s, uh, reading children's books because I had never learned it before. And as I started to learn the kids' books, then I could, you know, kind of work my way up, be scaffolded, you could say. It's a fancy education word, but uh, to get to a point where I could, you know, understand it for myself. Um, fairy tales, there are so many classic starts books or kids' versions of classic books. I have found that starting with those simpler ones make it a lot easier to engage once you get to the original text. Uh, and there's a lot of opportunity for conversation even with your kids in that too. You know, if your kids are understanding the characters, the setting, the plot, the conflict, what the problems are in the story, even before they approach the main text when they're older, uh, they're going to start from a place of feeling a lot more confident about the book. So by the time they get to high school, they're not just, you know, grinding through trying to answer the, the questions for homework they're able to engage at a much deeper level. And so if we can kind of lay that foundation when they're younger, I think we're doing them, um, you know, a great service. Well, in your, it, back to the idea of being at the banquet table, you're creating an appetite for the really good food. I mean, you could put bowls of Fruit Loops and Snicker bars all over the can, all over the table. And for a while, they'd probably stick around until they sugar high, you know, they couldn't sit still anymore. But I mean, my point, Holly, is help us understand, because I know there's some folks listening that are thinking, well, if the goal is the goal just to read for the sake of reading, then there are probably other books that are just, you know, I always refer to Captain Underpants. I can't say I've ever read it, but I mean, you, there's just all of these kind of fruit loop level books that are out there that are easy, even, even adult level. And there are books that are, I don't know, romance novels or things that are just, they're really not good literature, 
but you're reading. So what do you say to the parent who says, well, isn't it just good that they're reading at all? I mean, how do you respond to that versus they need to be reading the great books or the books that are high quality? Yeah. I mean, I think this comes back to an idea that we talk about a lot, that uh, we are constantly being formed by those things around us. And so when we present them with these lower level base things, they're being formed by those. And if our goal is really to form children who will know and love God and glorify him forever, you know, that job starts now. And so if we can help them to learn to love the right things, then that's setting them on a trajectory really for the rest of their lives to love the right things. And then hopefully wisdom and virtue come from loving the right things and they do yeah. the right things. And, um, you know, that's really what we desire for our children. Yeah. And again, it's a simple principle that you, what you, it's like, you know, I think of, again, diet's an actual, a good comparison. And again, if you, you know, you, some parts of the world, people eat bugs and they think they're delicacies. I, that hasn't happened for me yet. But I think, you know, if you grow up eating broccoli and healthy food, then that's going to be your choice when you're on your own. And it's really the same principle, I think. Well, why don't we take another break? I want to come back and let's get, you know, some suggestions, especially for parents that are thinking, um, I, I, obviously schools do a great job of creating curriculum and resources, but just sort of some books that have maybe are kind of your top couple books you'd recommend to get started on both for adults and for children. And I, I just want to reiterate before we go to the break, I mean, reading to our high school children is not too late. Some of my most wonderful memories before my uh, three graduated and, you know, left the home, were still reading even in the high school years and, you know, various things of, um, you know, biographies of Eddie Rickenbacker, the you know, race car pilot and that type of thing. So we've had all kinds of fun stories that we still talk about today because we read it in a book that was historical or interesting. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Jeremy Tate, founder of CLT or the Classic Learning Test. Here at CLT, we are big fans of the Basecamp Live podcast and we're honored to work alongside all of you in the classical renewal movement. In addition to our beautiful standardized assessments for grades three through 12, CLT also produces a podcast called Anchor that we think Basecamp listeners will enjoy as well. Anchored explores the intersection of education and culture, and it features conversations with leaders across the entire renewal movement, from college presidents and professors to heads of schools and organizational leaders. If you want to stay up to date on all that's been going on in education and in the renewal movement, please check out CLT's Anchored podcast. That's A-N-C-H-O-R-E-D and visit our website at www.cltexam.com slash Basecamp. So Holly, I'd love to get a parent hack. And a parent hack would be, I haven't had time to read the book and I didn't read it when I was in school, but I don't want to be mm -hmm. out of the conversation with my child. So how do you kind of, what, what are, what's the best way to give a parent a little bit of a, <laughs> I don't want to say a cheat sheet, but at least a uh, inspiring, yeah. inspiring way to engage uh, in these conversations. Yeah, I think that's really important. I can imagine most of you can relate where you pick up your kid from school and you say, how was your day? And they respond, fine. And then that's all they want to say, right? And so we have to find ways to move beyond that. And and I said earlier that I think you can still have a conversation even if you haven't read the book thoroughly, even if you're not really well acquainted with a book. Because the reality is many parents have multiple kids that are all reading different things. Um, and so I want to give you some tools on how to just start a conversation. I have found that some of the best conversations I've had with my kids have been in the car uh, and particularly around the dinner table. Um, and so here are some practical things that I, I would take away. So the first one is this really wonderful Charlotte Mason idea called narration. And she actually takes it from Quintilian. So it's super old. We've been doing it forever. And the idea is that you start with just 
retelling. So saying, hey, tell me, what did you read at school today? What, you know, if you know that they're reading Where the Red Fern Grows, tell me what happened in the chapter today that you read at school. Or perhaps after they've done their homework, just asking them to tell it back. And sometimes you can ask them to simplify that. Sometimes you can ask them to amplify, to add some more detail. And that's one way just to get them engaged with telling you about what they've read. And that will, I think, inevitably open some doors for you. Uh, The next one is just making observations, asking questions about simple things that every stories have. All stories have characters. They all have setting. They all have a plot. They all have a conflict. They all have a resolution, right? So those are just some basic tools that regardless of what story they're reading, you can ask about that. Tell me about a conflict between two of the characters. Who are these characters? Tell me about them. Where is this story taking place? That's interesting. How do you think that impacts the story? Okay, so character, setting, conflict, uh, resolution, those those basic ideas that you probably got, even if you had a, you know, very basic public school education like I did, you can access on that point. Um, the next thing would be to talk about connection. We talk in classical education all the time how things are integrated. And that's really the beauty of this kind of education is that we don't have subjects so much where you're just learning one individual thing. The things you're studying are actually all connected. So as you study history, it's going along with perhaps Bible and literature um, and science, like what's happening in the world at that time, right? And so what are ways that you can ask your students to make connections? Hey, you're reading this book. Tell me about how that connects to other things that you're learning about. How does that connect to your life? Do you, you know, do you notice anything that reminds you of something else? Um, I think those kinds of those kinds of questions can be really helpful. Um, and then kind of the silver bullet question, I think this comes from the Searcy Institute from their um, lost tools of writing. And I've done some workshops with them and been using this question for a while and have found it incredibly fruitful. But it's asking a should question. So should this character have done this? Should this character do this? Because what you're really doing is you're setting up for a discussion where the answer is either yes or no. Uh, And so when there are those two options, um, let me back up and say, you know, it's easy to ask, you know, questions that have really simple answers like yes, no. We want to avoid those questions. We want to ask questions that are going to open up for discussion. So when you ask a should question, uh, for example, if we're going to go with um, maybe a story that everybody knows, let's say like Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, should Little Red Riding Hood have taken the basket to her grandma? Well, yes, maybe she should have. Give me all the reasons why. Well, can you think of any reasons she shouldn't have done that? Okay, here are the other things. Well, now let's compare those. Let's talk about which ones do you think are better? Why are those better? And so what you're really doing as a parent in this situation is you're really being a facilitator. You're not giving answers. You're asking questions and they're doing the one talking and you are engaging with them and you're doing this together. Um, but you don't have to know the book, whatever it is that they're reading to to be able to do that entirely. Which is so encouraging. And and I mean, I think how often parents struggle with kind of the quote dead air. You know, you're in the you're in the van ride to school and it's you mm-hmm. know, you've talked about whatever the tendency is, well, let's just turn on the radio or turn on the thing and distract and like how do you create conversation so i love that idea just even knowing the bait like the title of the book that your child is reading just get some basic understanding um and then be able to ask those questions like you're just, i think that was a really good summary how it was very helpful what would you say to a parent who's listening who's maybe not um 
you know, they're, I don't want to say they're late to the game, but maybe this has just not been their habit and their children are a little bit older and maybe screens are a little bit more involved. I mean, how do you, is it too late to kind of jumpstart or kind of reintroduce? Yeah. We talked about reading to your, you know, maybe create a family reading time around a book that everybody's really interested in. I mean, what, what are maybe some habits to get mm-hmm. to jumpstart if you haven't been doing it all along? And then what might be a book or two you'd recommend that you found to be pretty universally engaging with people? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question. And I'm clearly not an expert on this. My kids are not in high school yet. Um, and so I want to tread sure. lightly. And, and I'm sure, Davies, that you have insight <laughs> to offer here. Um, but but one thing that I would say is, um, both as a parent and also as a teacher, I have had some incredibly deep, holy, soul-forming moments with my students in the classroom, uh, both homeschool students and in a classical Christian school, where in a sense, I almost felt like I was kind of robbing parents of these really beautiful moments that I got to have these conversations with their kids. And I so wished the parents could be in the room, particularly when uh, I read we read Where the Red Fern Grows. And there's this terrible tragedy in the story where this character dies, and it's really because of his sin. And, and this death is the consequence of sin. And the whole, the whole book is about uh, sacrifice and love. And you know, by the time we got to the end, we were reading this together. And I guarantee you, there was not a dry eye in the room. I had 22 sobbing boys and girls, myself included. Um, and the conversations that came out of that were so rich. We read uh, The Secret Garden, which honestly is not my favorite book. However, uh, we, had a, we had a student, we had a handful of students, but one in particular who came to class one day just so upset. And she said, I am Mary. I am spoiled and I complain and that is sin and I need to change. And and it was this really powerful moment with this story that, gosh, I so wish parents could be in with that. We were reading uh, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim and she's this courageous little mouse that does all sorts of crazy things because she loves her family, right? And so we were talking about courage. Uh, And when's the time that you've had to be courageous? And I think that's such a cool moment for a parent to be able to say, hey, Here's a time that I was courageous, uh, and this is what it looked like, and this is how it has impacted our family. Um, and so I think, you know, making space, even if it feels a little awkward, if you're not sure how to do it, there is so much richness yeah. to mine when those moments come. And they're not forced. I mean, half the time I've had really amazing moments with students has been, I had no idea, and I was just kind of winging it, and like, oh, I'm going to ask this question, Lord, use this question cover us in grace. I think it's good. Yeah. I don't know. Let's see what happens, you know? And and that's when that's when it has come. Uh, and so I just see literature and stories as a gift from God to help us understand who we are better. And when we're in family yeah. community, there's so much opportunity for us to engage with that. And so, you know, whether that's um, reading poems together, reading a book together, uh, a short story together. I mean, Christmas time is coming. Get a copy of, you know, Christmas Carol, throw it on the dinner table, read, you know, a few pages each night uh, Mm. and see what comes of that. I think I think there's I think there's kind of opportunity everywhere we look when we take the time to to think about it. This is such a good reminder, too, that, you know, we do want to create life lifelong readers. And if reading always equates to an assignment and a duty and a paper and an obligation, I mean, we're really forming a habit that's. We're not for- fully forming a habit that we, I think, are intending to form. And so, you know, I think about what, how can we just be aware mm-hmm. of that if we're, if we're a teacher, if we're a parent? I mean, is, is reading only brought up in the context of grades in school or is reading 
part of the ebb and flow. Like, I love that idea of making space for it. I mean, maybe that's a new Sunday afternoon tradition. Yeah, I'll, I'll just leave you with a little anecdote from my family. Neither of my parents are super educated. They graduated from high school. Neither of them went to college. They're not lifelong readers. But they knew that they wanted my brother and I to love reading. And so every Monday night, from as early as I can remember, all the way into high school, we went to Taco Bell and the library across the street every Monday night. You know, we got our 59-cent burrito, ate it together, and then walked across the street and went to the library. And that was such a formative part of my parents saying, you know what, we're not very good at this, but we want you to have this experience. Uh, I remember that. That's such a a strong core memory for me. Um, and so I think whatever that looks like for your family, <laughs> taking the time to, you know, sit with it for a little bit. And, and how can we make yeah. this a part of something that's important to us? I have a friend and their family goes on vacation. They're all adults now. They have their own kids. And each vacation uh, or, you know, family gathering, whether it's Christmas or whatever, they choose a book and they all read the book before. And then when they get there, they set apart an evening to talk about it as adults. And that's a practice they've just been doing for years, and it's part of who they are. And how sweet to be able to engage in really important conversations, even into adulthood. Love that. Those are great suggestions, Holly. Thank you so much. And thanks for being a part of Basecamp. I want to make sure people know how to find you. Share a little bit about your your podcast and best ways for people to connect with you. Yeah. So if you've got young ones, you can find The Good Way Podcast pretty much anywhere you listen. You can connect on goodwaypodcast.com. I am currently working on a new project in figuring out how to help parents engage with these great books and the great conversation that is forthcoming. So um, just, you know, follow along at goodwaypodcast.com. There will be links on there and there's links to all kinds of other fun stuff I've got going on out there, but that's probably the best place to go. Well, Holly, thanks for your time. Thanks for igniting a love of reading and just possibility for us and look forward to having you back again and continuing these conversations. Thanks. And thanks for all the work you're doing for us, Davies, as parents and as school administrators. It is uh, just really encouraging. And I'm excited for the future and what this movement has in store. Hey, everybody. My name is Grant, and I'm the producer of Pace Camp Live. I want to thank you all so much for listening to this episode and remind you to take our survey, which we just released on our website. You can also find it in the show notes. Uh, This gives you an opportunity as the listener to tell us what you want to see more of and what you want to see less of, potentially. Also, don't forget to uh, give Basecamp Live a rating on your podcast app and share it with your friends. Thanks so much.